welcome back to the Librarian Linkover podcast. I am your host, Laureen Kennard. I started this podcast to highlight the value of librarians because we do not get the respect that our skills deserve. Many of my guests have shown that their leadership abilities and business acumen have enabled them to move on to higher level leadership roles outside of libraries. My guest today has done just that. Christina M. Schutt is the Executive Director of the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum in Springfield, Illinois. She held a previous Executive Director role at the Mosaic Templars in Cultural Center in Little Rock, Arkansas, as well as leadership roles in academia. I am a member of the ALPLM, as we say, so I was excited when she agreed to be on my podcast. Christina, welcome to the Librarian Linkover. Unmute here. Thanks for having me today, Lorraine. It's great to talk with you. So tell us about your work and what kind of projects you take on. Well, um, I tend to take on projects that uh, maybe have a little bit of life in them, but they need something to help them grow um, and develop um, into their fullest potential. I love taking on projects that um, are community centered or community focused and help ground our institutions in that community, the communities that we serve. Um, those are the things that I, I tend to be most passionate about um, in my work. And um, everything I've done, whether it's been at a presidential library and museum as I am now, or working in academia, um, has really been about that kind of um, work. That's the, the stuff that I've been most excited about. Nice. When you went into libraries, did you want to move into a leadership role? Or did that interest in leadership come from working in libraries? Well, I'd probably say that I've always been um, maybe leadership minded. I don't know that I thought about it um, from that context. Um, when I was, you know, in library school, I was primarily focused on, you know, what are the skills or things I need for a tenure track position in academia, because I assumed I'd always be in academia. Um, and so that it was definitely a shift, right? Um, doing more of the administrative side of things. But, you know, as I mentioned, I've always um, been engaged in leadership roles. So even before I went to library school, I was really active um, at my university. I was really active in the community. Um, even back to, you know, when I was in high school, I was um, on, served on like a board of trustees. Um, so, you know, I was always kind of engaged in leadership things. So I, I suppose it, uh, my husband always says it was just like inevitable that I was going to end up, you know, um, running things. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us like to be in charge. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we like to have a say. How did you add, how do you add value to your roles as executive director because of your library experiences? Well, I think one of the things that's maybe different about me from, um, you know, my predecessors in, the, in this position or in, in other positions is that I've had most roles um, in libraries and museums. So um, while I haven't had every single role that we do here because we have um, a large staff and they do a lot of different things, um, I have had a lot of different roles. So I've done oral history work. I um, have done the, the processing archivist work. I um, have served as a frontline reference librarian. And so um, that kind of perspective, I think, brings um, just a different element when we're talking about projects or implementing things. Um, you know, we've been working on, um, you know, how do we better understand and serve our users? And to, to understand that, um, as you know, right, we learned in library school about usability and, um, and accessibility on things. And so bringing that perspective and knowing, again, because I've served you know, on the front line of library reference work, 
okay, well, here's how um, my experience, right, for how I've worked with users. And here's how, you know, we need to word our questions or think about our questions as we're engaging with them. Um, so I think that's really helped. I hope it's really helped to kind of streamline some, some things around here. Well, and sort of going along with that, what traditional, I use, I use um, air quotes on my podcast, what traditional <laughs> library skills do you use in your position? Well, I would say I um, probably mostly use reference skills. So mm -hmm. um, I get all sorts of questions from the public, from we have um, over 500 volunteers in our volunteer corps. And so they'll often ask me questions and it's not always Lincoln related questions. Sometimes it's Illinois history questions or it's things about how state government functions. And so I am always using those kind of reference and research skills in that. Um, one of the things that I feel like we, we really learn um, in library school pretty much universally is collaboration um, and how to work with people. And so I use a lot of those skills because we collaborate with people both internally across divisions in our, in our agency, but also externally with community partners. Um, so I use a lot of those kind of skills. Uh, and then, you know, as we were talking a little bit before um, the podcast about really being able to think outside the box, right? Librarians are people who, um, you know, we, we have to get better sometimes about flexing that muscle, but we do know and we do learn how to think outside the box and how to think about a problem from kind of a multifaceted or multi-sided way. And so it's really for me, um, you know, leaning in and pressing into that and saying, okay, how do I think about sort of problems from a complex um, viewpoint and really being able to understand it from a more holistic way than I think sometimes um, people under in other industries get. I notice it, I would say even more so when I work in academia where you have faculty and they're very much teaching faculty who are focused on their departments or what their students need in their division. But one of the nice things about librarians is that we often touch um, students in every department. And so mm -hmm. we're able to see trends or see things that are already popping up in one department and really um, use that perspective to strategize for how to address issues. I was telling someone the other day that in a corporation, I was the solo in a corporation and I knew people in all the departments because I served all the departments. But the joke was kind of like, people only knew people in their aisle, like the aisle their cube was in, that's the only people they knew. But I knew people all over because like you said, we touched the whole we touched the whole universe, the whole organization. So we have a good perspective on what everyone's doing and how it all fits together. Um, so when you hire people, what do you look for in a candidate? Well, I look for people who have skills just like that, um, right? Who can see that um, complex perspective or that sort of diverse perspective of seeing multiple sides or multiple issues or challenges, um, typically because the, the stuff that we deal with is not always black and white. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of, okay, how do we handle this situation? Or what do we do about this, um, this problem? How do we address this? Um, you know, we famously, who was it a couple weeks ago, we had someone who brought a lizard into the museum. <laughs> and so figured out, okay, well, we have to tell them you can't have your lizard in the museum. Um, but also how do we do it in a way that gives a customer service forward approach? And so again, being able to think outside the box on problems and address things is something that we're always doing. Um, I also look for someone who's really flexible and who's really um, willing to work across the aisles, who's willing to consider alternatives, you know, especially when you work in kind of, um, you know, a, a government agency, um, which, you know, our presidential library museum um, is, 
you know, it has challenges of there are certain things we have to do certain ways because of the way the law is structured or because of the way that the systems function. And so, you know, having someone who's really flexible and understands that, but also can be flexible within that system is also really important. The experience in libraries is also helpful for dealing with lizards who want to come in museums. <laughs> you get all kinds of stuff, the reference desk. <laughs> Absolutely, right? I, you could probably have like a whole podcast of like things people found at the reference desk, right? Or <laughs> that weird would be questions. a great podcast. I to, right? I used to keep a drawer of like weird questions that I would get of things that are like, who would ask this? This is a different question that I've ever gotten before. But like those kind of things, because that's one of the best parts about the job. <laughs> and you can read, when you read a policy manual and you think, what in the world? But then you think someone, they had to create that policy because someone wanted to do that. And that's really not, you know, doesn't work with what you do in a library. So that's why there's crazy policies and policy manuals because someone tried to bring a lizard in. So you had to have a policy, you can't bring a lizard in. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Uh, what kind of management skills do you regularly rely on? Well, I would say, you know, I am constantly learning and um, growing as a manager and as a leader. And so, you know, when I think about kind of management skills, I think about them as sort of multi, multi-level things, right? So, um, you know, management skills like time management, being able to mm. manage not only my own time and how I'm spending it, but also the time um, of others. Kind of along with that, um, I think about energy management. So understanding when is the best time that I work or I do things. Um, because of the nature of my job and my position, I am called on to do things at all hours of the day and time and weekends. Um, and so really being able to manage, okay, well, um, am I making sure that I'm practicing good self-care um, regimens, that I'm stopping and eating and having a lunch break? Because Again, when you're um, when you're an executive in a C-suite role, it's very easy for your lunches to get scheduled away. It's very easy to not have um, breathing time in your day. So really spending some of that, I think, is um, always one of the kind of biggest challenges um, that you know you face in management. And the other thing that I know, not only for myself, but something that um, you know other managers um, are always challenged with, is the the old adage. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of when the article was published years ago, but one of my favorite articles from the Harvard Business Review um, of who's got the monkey. And it's, you know, the idea is that people come into your office with their problems and they, um, th that problem is a monkey on their back. And so by the end of the conversation, you know, you as the manager will feel guilty or you feel like, oh, okay, I want to be helpful. And so you take the monkey instead of giving the person advice saying, okay, here's how to manage your monkey. You take the monkey and put it on your back. And then the next person comes in until, you know, by the end of the week, you've got everybody's monkeys on your back and your staff are looking at you like, well, who's the idiot there? Like, why can't he manage his time better? Um, and so one of the things I'm always practicing um, and, and really, again, honing my skill on is how do I make sure that I give people the tools and the resources they need to deal with their monkeys, but ultimately give them back their monkeys, that those are their projects that they um, need to own and to develop um, their own sense as a leader. And so I can't take their monkey, but I can give them, um, you know, the food to feed the monkey. Oh, that's very well put. Very well put. For librarians who work with budgets, what are a few suggestions you can give us on managing budgets? Big topic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so 
budgets are always tricky because a lot of times in our situations, we're not always the person who's um, in control of our budget, especially if you're in city or county kind of um, situations, or even within state government, um, where, you know, our budget is set, we rec make recommendations, but our budget is ultimately set um, by the legislature. Um, and so one of the things that we um, try to do is we try to place some flexibility in our budget. Um, so to really be mindful about the ways that, you know, those unmovable things, right? Um, the subscriptions, the things that are um, always going to, to, to be there to some extent, um, and our current models of doing kind of librarianship and resources. Um, but then figure out, okay, where are other areas where we can really leverage our budget um, and we can, you know, bring in partners on things to help mitigate some of the costs or, or share some of the responsibility on it. Where are areas where we can, uh, we know that, you know, this, whatever we're doing is strategically important and it will help us grow our audience. You know, so for um, this year, one of the biggest changes we made for our budget for, I guess, for this upcoming fiscal year is to add a specific line item that um, around accessibility. Uh, mm. We want to make sure that, um, because that we've decided as an organization is a, is a major priority for us. And so I want to make sure that we have the resources we need in place. So there's not a question about whether or not we can hire an interpreter, how much it's going to cost. We just do it because that's the right thing to do. So it's really kind of making sure your budget is aligned with your mission and with your vision of what you want the, the library, library to be, and then um, aligning your budget, you know, um, where you're able to, to meet that mission. What suggestions can you give librarians who want to move into management or higher level roles? Oh, wow. wow. Um, <laughs> I always feel like that's a, that's a tough one. You know, I, I would say you know, for me, um, you know, learning now management roles. So learning, um, you know, if you're in school, thinking about taking management classes as they're available and not just library management, you know, take a class if mm -hmm. your school offers or has an MBA program, take a class in the MBA program. Um, those are things that looking back in hindsight, uh, Simmons University has one of the best management programs, um, particularly for women um, in, in the country. And I, I was sorry, I was like, man, I should have taken like more courses through that management program while I was in library school and had the opportunity to do so. Um, that's something I wish I, I definitely would have done. The other thing that I, I think people uh, maybe don't take as much of an advantage of as they could is getting involved um, in committees and being really active. Um, mm -hmm. round tables from professional organizations. So mm -hmm. um, even when I was, um, you know, still in library school, I was active in, um, you know, SAA and um, Society of American Arts, excuse me, and um, the American Library Association. You know, I was a Spectrum Scholar, and so I leveraged that um, role and that opportunity to really get involved and invested um, in committees. So, you know, when I um, was applying for jobs, I remember really distinctly, I was applying for history librarian jobs and um, I happened to be at the time, it was called the Bibliographies and Indexes Committee. Um, tells you a little dates me there. <laughs> but the Bibliography and Indexes Committee for the Roos Historical Association and uh, Roos History Section, excuse me. And so I was on that committee and one of the questions that came up was, well, what's your favorite history resource? And so I was really able to take some of the stuff that we were reading and already doing as part of that committee work and talk about it during the interview process. So it really helped me both in preparing for sort of the interview, but also um, in developing more of a leadership um, role in there. What do you think are two or three of the top issues in museums these days? 
Well, I think, you know, the pandemic and its impact is, is going to continue um, to, be a, to be a challenge for museums. There is, you know, this kind of adage that people assume that we're going to go back to the world sort of 2019, pre-2019, um, and that is not going to happen. The, that ship has long sailed. We're going to continue, you know, by all estimations, um, futurists um, tell us that we're going to continue to face challenges around um, health and um, you know respiratory like diseases into the future and so you know that's something that museums are going to have to grapple with um, even from a very basic level like seating right as more people um, qualify for disability because again of, of the impact on covid you know making sure how far is your parking lot from the front door of your museum are people going to need places to stop and sit or rest before they get to the front door where is seating in that space so that kind of stuff and those um, challenges are gonna be there. I think um, climate change is something that's gonna continue to impact. Again, we think about ourselves in museums as sort of above or separate from that. But um, if anything, um, I feel like we've learned, especially you know, um, here in the last year or two that those challenges, you know, things like increasing rainfall and the stress that it puts on our roof um, and the ongoing maintenance cost of that are going to really be um, challenges uh, in the future, both you know structurally and physically to the building, but also financially to our budget, as we're making sure that we're um, you know keeping our doors open and being available to the public. I also think that you know museums that struggle or refuse to change or to be more community connected um, are going to to really face challenges. You know, there's. Um, we saw it spill over from, you know, it's kind of a spillover from the streets and the protests that was going on the streets and people protesting in museums in the last year. Um, and it's not to say that they weren't doing that before because, you know, even back in the 60s and 70s, part of the rise of the um, Black museum movement, uh, particularly the Black and Latino museum movement, really comes out of people protesting at museums and not seeing themselves there. But, you know, that was 50 years ago, 60 years ago, and now we're seeing renewed calls for that. So I think those kind of challenges for boards, for leadership, for museums in those positions that are unwilling to change or unwilling to move forward, um, you know, that are kind of keep the status quo, that's going to be a real challenge for them and how well people can pivot and really be responsive to their communities. So many are already left behind. Absolutely. They just they aren't able to see, even before the pandemic, they're not able to see, you know, down the road to see what's coming. Um, museums are sort of like libraries, I think, in that there's a lot of things they do because we've always done it, and why would we change when that's not a good reason to do anything? But yeah, I think museums and libraries both need to kind of let some of that go and think a little bit more about how to work how to work differently and going forward. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that um, I have really been thinking about. I would say, in particular, the last gosh six months or so. Um, as I've gotten more invested um, and interest in the work of um, the Institute for the Future and sort of um, the future of museums in general. So what does it look like for our future as a community and, and what role will museums play in that? And so, you know, these challenges that we're seeing, you know, things like threats to democracy and voting rights. I mean, those things are going to impact museums, um, whether we refute, whether we, you know, are willing to acknowledge it or not. And so, um, for those museums that are willing to be adept and are willing to make changes and are willing to say, well, we should maybe do something different. Like we don't always have to do things the way we all, we've always done it, right? That foundation was important and that foundation got us to this place.
but that foundation is not going to um, lead us into the next 10 years. And you kind of touched on this before um, about professional associations, and I found them incredibly valuable in my career. Which professional associations have you joined or which ones have you gotten the most out of? Well, um, I, of course, uh, you know, love my um, experience with the ALA, with the American Library Association. I um, loved being a Spectrum Scholar. That was an incredible experience mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, both from the mentorship aspect, but really from meeting um, people that I'm still <laughs> friends with. Um, even back from, I was a 2009 Spectrum Scholar. And so um, even from back in 2009, I'm still friends with those folks and we still meet up um, at conferences oftentimes. So I think that relationship has, has been really important. Um, things like the Association for African-American Museums, uh, that's been, uh, a, I guess, newer for me in the last five years or so. Um, but that relationship has been really great in particular because um, as, as you know, uh, as well as I do, that the library um, association isn't as diverse as it should be or could be. Um, and that has been a, a long, um, long standing ongoing problem, both in the, not just the recruitment, but really the retention of um, librarians of color. And so, and retention of those folks in the profession, right? Um, and so one of the things about the Association for African-American Museums um, for me is it was, their, their conference um, was the first time I ever saw a room of 300 people who looked like me, um, who were doing wow. uh, museum work. And it was a, a just powerful experience. And so I always look forward um, to that conference and I look forward to learning from my colleagues um, in those spaces because um, the conferences and the resources they um, develop for their members are much, not just about the, the what we do, but the how we do. Um, the why we do, right? Uh, and, you know, thinking about sort of the whole person and, and really taking a holistic approach um, to the way they plan things, so. And I've mentioned this on previous podcasts, but I'm working on um, an email to send to HBCUs, to their career people and the presidents about my podcast, because there are so many things we can do with our degrees. And often um, students at HBCUs aren't aware that libraries or information science are even is even a career option. Um, many of my guests have been diverse, so I'm going to link to all of their episodes so that, you know, one more thing to think about that maybe grad school might be an option because we do have to do something to um, get more diverse librarians in our profession. And to your point, we need to do something to support and retain them as well. Absolutely. And, and really, you know, I found that um, so much of it with um, diversity in the librarian world is about that retention piece of it. Um, keeping, you know, we can get people interested in it, but it doesn't help us if they go to libraries and the libraries don't welcome them. You know, mm -hmm. the libraries say that, you know, it's not okay for you to be who you are, to have the hair you have, or, or even to have tattoos or whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, we, we set up those kind of exclusionary practices. Um, in our actual workplaces, which really deter people from wanting to think about this as a, as a career focus. Because again, they, um, they don't see themselves there and they don't see them, not only do they not see themselves, but they do not see themselves welcomed there. Um, and that's really the piece of it. Uh, because there are a lot of um, black librarians and librarians of color out there, but it's whether or not they're welcomed into those spaces. Which leads me to my next question. Why did you go to library school? And based on your career so far, does that reasoning hold? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I think it's always a hard one, right? Um, I, I feel like, so I am passionate about access to information. 
Um, I am a information nerd, like I'm always taking in, um, like just constantly taking in information and processing it. And I am passionate about people having access to that information and really um, understanding that, right? So particularly from um, sort of the, I kind of started out in the archives, um, archives especially in really kind of again history librarianships sort of track. I really wanted people to understand their history and understand the past and, and be able to use that and leverage that as a tool for um, understanding their present so that they can make informed choices about their future. Um, that's really kind of, I think, the unique role that libraries um, and particularly special collections libraries can serve is, um, is making people aware of those things. And so for me, I would definitely say it absolutely still holds. I love when um, we can connect people with uh, their past in some way or connect them with um, some document in some way, even if it's not directly related to um, their history. So we, I was given a tour last week um, to one of our um, legislative representatives and she also has a, a background in uh, as a realtor. And so we were showing her just some of our kind of land grant documents and other things. Um, one of them was tied to um, the Louisiana Purchase uh, because we have documents from every, U, um, every US president in our collection, uh, except for, I believe, um, Trump and uh, Biden. Um, so, but everybody else, and we'll probably acquire something um, within the next, you know, couple of years for both of them. But um, so we were showing her this document and she was just so moved by it um, to see something that's talking about, you know, here's the land that literally she's sitting on and it's talking about the transfer of the land from French, you know, control to American control. And she just moved by it. So I think those kind of things, when uh, we get to show people, you know, photographs or um, show them images or even oral history interviews that we've done um, from the history, and they're just like, "Whoa, I, I didn't know about this. I I feel changed because I learned this thing, and I need to tell other people about it." That's the moment for me. I think is the the real sweet spot of what we do, right? Um, because we have taken something that felt like it was stagnant or left in the past and we've made it relevant to someone's life today. Um, that was, you know, one of the things that always um, inspired me about libraries long before I went to library school um, and is something that really encouraged me to pursue it as a career. Great. So where can we find the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Museum on social media? Well, we are on uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So if you just look for Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, you'll see us. Um, we're super active. So we're always doing uh, lives, uh, Facebook lives, as well as kind of other programming to um, celebrate Illinois and Lincoln history. Um, we frequently bring things out from our archives or um, you know, show people uh, some of our kind of fun historical or special collections on social media. So it's a great place to check us out. You can also um, see our website, uh, presidentlincoln.illinois.gov, which has a full listing of all of the things that we do, including both in-person and uh, hybrid programs that we're, we're offering right now. I've been a member for a while, and I've also gone to the Illinois conference, the history conference in the fall. Oh, wonderful. That's really good. That's mind-blowing. Because you think, you know, you see all the history and different things like nationally, but when you think about your own state, very interesting. I highly recommend that. 
Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah, the Illinois Conference on History um, is an absolutely incredible conference. We're always thinking of ways to um, expand the narrative, to share with people things they didn't know, to really help illuminate and elevate and amplify, um, you know, stories that don't get talked about. And so I'm, I'm really excited for um, what we've got in store for this year, especially around our kind of theme on survival and resiliency and um, just to see what people's conference proposals and suggestions are. And, um, you know, I don't know if you realize this, one of the things that we're, we're really trying to do more of is encourage more students um, to get involved in the conference. You don't have to be a professional historian that's, you know, tied to a university to come and present in our conference. You can be a student, you can be a graduate student or even undergraduate student. We really want um, people to get opportunities um, to present their research, to share it with others, and to um, expose stories that don't get talked about. Great. Thank you so much for doing this. It's been really interesting. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. Thank you to Christina M. Schutt for being my guest today on the Librarian Linkover. I love hearing from listeners who tell me how useful they find the content that my guests and I have been creating. Please keep that feedback coming. Please like and follow the Librarian Linkover on your favorite podcast app, follow on social media, and visit the librarianlinkover.com. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.